What's going on, guys? It's JP from the Double Double, and I'm here with my co-host, Ben. What's going on, everybody? Welcome. And today we're just going to do a little bit of a recap of the NBA and what's been going on. The first team we get to start with today is my Cleveland Cavaliers. They have been on a freaking crazy run recently um, where they're beating the shit out of everyone. They are, let me check here, 9-1 and one in their last 10. And last night, they got Evan Mobley back into the lineup. And me and you have talked about at length on this podcast about, you know, some of the issues with the lineups and the spacing when Evan Mobley comes back. Are they going to be able to figure out how to keep up this great offense they've been uh, having? And they beat the Clippers, who were the hottest team in the league outside of the Cavs. So I was very impressed and excited that they were able to get a win. What were your thoughts on the Cavs last night? I mean, that's a hype win. That is a fantastic win. 10 of the last 11 games for the Cavs. Um, they are, they're just on a crazy tear. And yeah, bringing in Mobley, I was a little bit worried. Um, I mean, we've had the conversation about like what it looks like with both of those guys on the floor at the same time. Mobley did his thing. Absolutely nothing to complain about from him last night. But a great, great win for the Cavs because the Clippers are just on a tear. You're right, man. They are the, the hot team of the West. They had won... I want to say 10 of their last 12 games before coming into Cleveland. Um, great game again from Jared Allen. He just keeps putting up 20 and 14s like every yeah. single night. He is so consistent. It's cool to see. I mean, as soon as Mobley steps in, the vibes continue to stay positive. That's really what we wanted. Yeah, and we both of us were very scared that it was going to end immediately. Mm -hmm. um, even you were financially putting some bets against the Cavs last night because you thought, hey, the vibes probably changed tonight with the lack of spacing. Yeah. Um, and nope, it just kept just kept going. Like, they just figured it out. Um, just looking at Mobley's performance in a vacuum, I, I said this to you pre-pod, He's just a mistake-free player, kind of. Like, he doesn't do anything that blows you away, but there are just a few moments a game where he looks a little uncomfortable that kind of puts his team at a detriment. But in terms of defense, like, having Jared Allen out at the perimeter when Kawhi Leonard got him up in the air on a three-point look and then driving past Jared Allen and then Evan Mobley's in the paint waiting for him, like, that is still one of the hardest teams to score against in the entire league because of that double big setup. And it looks like the spacing from last night wasn't an issue. I mean, they did only shoot 32.5% from three last night compared to how well they were shooting. So I don't know if that's indicative of his return. That's something to monitor for sure. But in terms of his performance in very limited time, he only played 20 minutes. He will be on a minutes restriction. I was pretty pleased with what I saw. Absolutely. I mean, there's a reason the Cavs were one of the best defenses, if not the best defense of last year's regular season. Um, and it's because those two together are a monstrous defensive duo. I mean, the switchability of Evan Mobley, everybody knows about. Jared Allen is a far more mobile big man than I think a lot of people give him credit for. Both of them are excellent rim protectors. You know, they were top 10 offense and the best defense last year, and we still have what feels like a mountain of complaints about what went wrong in that season. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's just a testament to how big of a difference the shooting can make. Bringing in Max Struess, giving Sam Merrill more minutes, Dean Wade seems to be playing better. Like, there was a reason you went out and got more spacing. I'm kind of hopeful that the win streak continues for Cleveland. I am too, which was not where I was uh, a few weeks ago. And I don't know after watching one game, I don't know why it swung my opinion so much. I think it's because it's against a very good team in the Clippers and it's with the return of Evan Mobley and sm the smiles just kept coming. Like they figured it out and they were all happy to be there. Um, and like I told you pre-pod, Shams just tweeted that Darius Garland is expected to make his return on Wednesday against the Detroit Pistons so that we're going to start to see the full Cavs unit again, and hopefully the vibes continue. I would love for this to be a team that could actually win a first round playoff series. That's my, that would be my dream come true. But um, we need to see this continue first before I can say something like that. Looking at the way the East is kind of shaping up, it's going to be a tough fight to get a top four seed. New York Knicks are really on a tear. If that's the first round series and it's a rematch against the Knicks, what are your feelings? Uh, very scared. Yeah. Very, very scared. I mean, Tom Thibodeau, 
he's been leading this Knicks team to a top, the top defense since the OG Ananobi trade. And I just think OG Ananobi is probably the perfect guy to guard Evan Mobley in a vacuum where you just put him on Mobley, completely shove him around, don't even worry about him. And then you can switch and help off and put your hands in passing lanes and stuff like that. Or you can just put Randall on him and basically allow him to play as little defense as he wants so he can focus all his energy on offense. So that would be a pretty scary matchup for me. I think what we saw Mitchell Robinson do last year is terrifying. I agree. I agree. I mean, that's an excellent series, I think. I think it'll be a lot more competitive than it was last year. Obviously, the spacing helps with that a lot, but that's not a series that you're going into as a Cavs fan incredibly confident. But it seems like, you know, based on the way things are shaping up right now, you're playing them or you're playing Philly. Yeah. Yeah, which is like kind of a lose-lose scenario, kind of no matter what. Right. Um, Weirdly enough, I think we have a better shot against Philly, just on the off chance that Joel continues being a playoff pants pooper or injury-prone. Um, I think in a weird way, we have a better shot against Philly than we do New York, who's a team filled with like super gritty, blue collar, hard nosed defenders and guys that just punish you for making mistakes. So I don't know. I'm very happy that the Cavs have found a rhythm here, but I'm still a little nervous for the season outlook. Oh, absolutely. But I mean, it had to start with a winning streak. Winning 10 of the last 11 games is awesome. Darius Garland is on his way back. And we're about to see this team at full strength. I'm very excited for it. Is Darius Garland, is he coming back on a minutes restriction? He must be because there are reports that he obviously broke his jaw. Yeah. But he hasn't been eating solid food because he had, he's had a broken jaw. So he hasn't, he's lost weight, obviously. So I'm yeah. thinking you're going to want to keep him on a minute's restriction, you're not going to want to put him out there for 35 minutes a night coming back from four weeks of eating, drinking his food. So um, hopefully he's on a minute's restriction and kind of slowly get him back into the lineup. Not ready to eat solid food, but ready to play in the NBA. That is, I mean, that's a testament to what a beast Darius Garland is. Um, Let's talk about Celtics Clippers because that was a weird game. man. I think it's, it's very fair to say it's the worst loss of the Celtics season. Uh, Game was pretty much over by the first quarter. I was expecting this to be one of the more entertaining games, at least of the Celtics season, Uh, but it was just over kind of immediately. What were your thoughts on this game? Yeah, this one was super odd for me uh, because the Celtics were like the last team remaining in the league without a truly bad loss. Um, And it feels like they got it in a huge wave against the Clippers. The Clippers just manhandled them from the jump. Um, and Jason Tatum was the only Celtics player that had it going. Let me read you some of the other Celtics uh, stat lines from that game. Jalen Brown, 3 for 13, 8 points. Drew Holiday, 7 points, 2 for 11. Derek White, 2 points, 0 of 8. Al Horford, 0 points, 0 of 5. Um, that's You can't get any worse. You cannot get any worse than that. And then if you look at the flip side... Kawhi Leonard shot 66% from the floor and from three. Paul George above 50%. James Harden, uh, uh, he had a good job passing the game, uh, passing the ball, not scoring the basketball. But they they just beat the shit out of the Celtics. And it was really, really weird because they have the same play style where they switch everything and they rely heavily on their wings. And it just looked like the Clippers outclassed them. You're absolutely right. I mean, I think the not having Kristaps Porzingis around and having that offense replaced by Al Horford, that's kind of killer. You know, we we talk about what this team is outside of Jason Tatum. Me and you talk about it a lot. And this was not a good game for the rest of the crew. I think it was 17 points on 37 shots for the starters outside of Tatum. Um, This was one, I mean, I think you just got to write this off until you get multiple of these I don't know that there's anything you can really pull from this other than it's a game where nobody was having their uh nobody was having an on night and Kawhi Leonard's Kawhi Leonard and we just don't have the bodies to stop him because there is nobody to stop him that's a point I'm definitely willing to agree with where it's like the Celtics lost earlier in the season to Milwaukee where they lost like by 40 
that was on a back-to-back. They flew to Milwaukee. Milwaukee had circled that game on their calendar for weeks. That's that a scheduled just, loss. Exactly. Like, yes, I would have liked it to be more competitive than a 40-point loss, obviously, but mm-hmm. you could see how you can make an excuse for that outcome. This one was just the Clippers were ready. The Clippers were better. Um, and yes, Kristaps was out, but Kristaps has been out periodically throughout the season, and that's something that we may have to expect uh, at later points in the season. So it was a little uh, interesting for me, especially because this was the first time this year I've seen the Celtics look mortal. Yeah, and it was a home game. Uh, it was the first bad home game of the season. I don't know. I mean, we've had this thing with the Celtics for years now where it's like they're an unbelievable team on a Monday, and then on a Wednesday they're beatable by anybody. Um, we, we haven't seen that as much this season. This is really the first game where it was like, oh, shit, is this the Celtics from like two years ago? Um, yeah. Do we have to convince them to start trying again? Like it was, it's not that bad. I'm not in a doomer mindset or anything, but like this was the right. first loss that kind of reminded me of some rough losses from Celtics past. Yeah, I'm with you there. It did feel like a, a good old classic Celtics like flop game from the past where they just didn't even enter the building ready to play basketball. Um, like we like we've had these conversations a little bit on this podcast before. And in 82 game season, there are going to be games that players just don't wake up for, which is unfortunate, yeah. but it's the truth. What's weird, though, is you'd think the Celtics would wake up for this. And I think they were they were trying to win this game, but they just didn't have it this night. But it's, yeah, it's usually this team has showed that they play their best ball against the best competition this year. Like, they've done an unbelievable job. Think about their wins over, like, Minnesota and stuff like that. And the games they've even lost to OKC and, and uh, Denver, they come down to the final seconds. So... You'd think this one was going to be a little bit more competitive, but the Clippers are just, they are freaking red hot right now. They really are, man. And, you know, you can be pretty confident in the Celtics that if they're playing a bad team, they're going to beat them this season. But when you look at their losses, they've lost to the Clippers, to Denver, Milwaukee, Minnesota, OKC, and Philly. Yeah. Those are all the best teams. Yeah, so true. when we say like, you know, we talk a couple years ago about the Celtics blowing games to awful OKC teams and stuff like that. And it's like, well, you don't have to play them in the playoffs. So who cares? These yeah. are the teams we have to play in the playoffs. So to only be dropping games to those teams, it's definitely a little bit worrisome. But I'm, I mean, the Celtics are still the best team in the East. If Kristaps Porzingis is there, maybe things are different. Yeah. Um, but still, this is just a good win for a really hot Clipper team. Right. I definitely viewed this more as the Clippers stapling themselves as a legitimate title contender rather than, oh, the Celtics are fucked. Like, they need to figure things out. Correct. I, I, I didn't really take away much from the Celtics side of things other than just, hey, they had a stinker tonight. Yeah, don't do it again. Let's hope that we <laughs> yeah. don't see that again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, uh, I think you're right, though, about the Clippers being a title contending team. Yeah, um, I think they're they are in that bracket. I don't know. It really depends on what the matchups look like for the top four teams in the West. But if they get a favorable matchup, I really want to see them play in Denver just for a repeat of the bubble. It's the last time the Clippers have been pretty deep into the playoffs. I think that would be the most entertaining series. But they got just as good of a chance as anybody making it to the Western Conference Finals. Yeah, I'm totally with you there. With Paul George, Kawhi, and James Harden all healthy, like, this team is a juggernaut. Mm-hmm. They they have been ripping off wins for weeks now. Like, maybe, like, six weeks straight, they've just been winning every game. Uh, they're, they're on a tear. And I think Kawhi Leonard's playing at a first-team All-NBA level. You know, James Harden looks like... A very interesting, great version of himself. We talked about it a little bit last podcast where it's he's setting everyone up, but he's still dominating isolations when he does it um, just at a lower usage rate. The ball's swinging more. So this team's very unique, and I, I, I'm I, very intrigued how this all plays out with them come postseason time because if Kawhi Leonard's knees don't explode, like they do have a chance to take it home this year. They absolutely do. I'm, I'm just interested to see what the seeding is. Uh, there's four teams in the West with 30 wins already. I mean, it's going to be very difficult to cement yourself in the one or two seeds 
just based on what Minnesota's doing right now, um, it's it's going to be really tough, man. But I think, you know, based on how this regular season's going, Denver is a team that we've seen kind of take it easy in the last month of the season. I don't expect that from the Clippers. I kind of expect them to be fighting for that top seed the entire season. Yeah, I, I can expect something similar. And even if they don't, right? Like, even if Minnesota, Denver, and Oklahoma City all keep their places, the Clippers being able to face a team like Dallas, Phoenix, or Sacramento in the first round bodes well for them. Oh, yeah. And then if they... Uh, in the second round, get Minnesota, which is still a inexperienced team with some pretty interesting matchups you can expose if you're the Clippers with Carl Anthony Towns on defense and then Rudy Gobert on offense. We've seen Ty Lue put Rudy Gobert in a blender before in a postseason series. Like, you know, I still think they win and get to the Western Conference Finals through that path, even if they keep their four seeds. So um, they're just in a really good spot. Yeah, man, the teams at the top are so good right now. I think that's what we talk about when we talk about the parity. The teams at the bottom are as beatable as any teams at the bottom have ever been, probably. Um, But the teams at the top are just so skilled. Like, the fact that the Clippers could very realistically end the season as the four seed and maybe be seen as, like, the favorites, um, it's just a testament to how good basketball is right now. Um, 100%. Speaking of which, I want to pivot and just talk about Joel Embiid. Uh, we went back and forth with this a lot when the rule changes were made yeah. about you needing to play 65 games in order to be qualified for any award. Joel yeah. Embiid is almost guaranteed to miss that 65 game mark. And he's putting up one of the craziest statistical seasons of all time, especially by a center. Um, this is kind of what I was upset about in the in the beginning before this yeah. season even happened. I don't know how to feel about this other than the fact that I'm bummed as hell. He's not going to make any all team, all NBA team. Yeah. This one's been odd for me because I was in huge favor of the rule. Get these guys out and playing. Um, And I think it has worked. I think dudes are playing more games than they've ever played really. Um, So that's a check check in my book. But then when it comes to literally one of the greatest seasons we've ever seen may not be rewarded, that makes me feel weird. So I'm kind of in, I'm kind of conflicted with how I feel about this because obviously some news that everyone was upset about was Joel Embiid ducking Nikola Jokic once again in Denver. He hasn't played in Denver since 2019. It's 2024 for people like that's five years of him not playing against Nikola Jokic in Denver. At some point, like, he does have to be punished for it. Like, the Sixers are being investigated for this, which I think is good. Um, but, yeah, I don't know, man. I, conflicting feelings for me right now. Yeah, I mean, if he hadn't have ducked Jokic, I think that he still is missing the 65 game mark. But there would have been a much bigger outcry at the end of the season about get this man his awards. The fact that he did duck on Jokic for the, you know, nth time, however many times he's done this so far, definitely people are not as interested in giving him his flowers. But when you look at 36 points, 11 rebounds, 6 assists, 1 steal, 1.8 blocks, nobody's doing that. Nobody in the NBA is doing that. No center since Wilt Chamberlain is doing that. He needs to be rewarded in some way, man. Um, I don't I don't know what it is. If you want to say not hitting 65 games means no MVP for you, I'm okay with that. But no All-NBA team, no nothing, I'm not okay with. I think I'm in agreement there. I think All-NBA, the thing with the All-NBA stuff, though, is it's you can get rewarded for the All-NBA stuff and then get financially compensated at a crazy level that if you don't deserve it, or if you're an injury-prone player, can literally just neuter your franchise. Like, you can't do anything. So I think these games played, uh, like, factors actually protect teams a little bit from absolutely having their cap space bludgeoned by a player that doesn't play basketball. Like, that I'm a big fan of. But we're talking about one of the greatest all-time seasons, and he's playing above 60 games You know, he's still going to play above 60 games. He's not going to hit 65, but 
he'll probably hit that 60 game mark. That's three fourths of the season. That that's pretty good. Right. Um, the issue that I think a lot of people have is he wasn't even on the injury report for Denver. Right. So he like, was warming this, up 20 minutes before tip off. Right. And then he was like, Meh. so what I kind of texted you the other day that I think is an interesting way to look at this whole Joel Embiid thing is his career up to this point has been him being called a regular season merchant, right? His stats are inflated. He beats up on the garbage teams. He goes to the free throw line 20 times a game, but then he always flames out in the postseason, either due to injury or just lack of performance. Right. Mm -hmm. I think this is an odd case study of a guy really trying to like make it through a postseason by saving his legs during the regular season. Um, because that's what will validate him as an all-time great in people's eyes. It's not going to be another MVP or another first-team All-NBA. I think it's playoff success. So it's, I, I don't know. How do you feel about that? I think you're definitely fair about about that. But in a regular season, in a season without this rule, he could have the opportunity to go for both. You know, playing 60 games, he would still be in MVP talks. He would still absolutely be an All-NBA lock. But then we get to see... You know, he took 20 games off. What are you capable of when the postseason starts and you're actually healthy? Um, when we talk about, you know, this rule works and we've got guys playing more than they've played before, who are players that you look at as examples of this 65-game mark being a, a positive? Paul George, Kawhi Leonard. Um, these are the people that have been labeled the fucking god ch- children of load management, right? Both of these guys have been playing endlessly um, and they deserve to be compensated for it with awards and then therefore contract extensions. Like that is what the heart of the rule is, is okay. Our best players need to be playing. And if they're the best players, they'll make these teams. And then therefore their contracts will be incentivized by making X amount of dollars more than they would have if they missed that 65 game threshold. Like, I think that's working. I have noticed that the star players that they don't miss games as much as they used to. And if they do, it's a fucking uproar on Twitter, like Joel Embiid ducking Nikola Jokic again. Like so many people were upset about that. Um, Anthony Davis, that dude, he's just playing basketball. He's healthy. Like I think he will be rewarded with an all NBA spot and an all defensive spot. And he'll be in the running for defensive player of the year. I think that matters that these guys are healthy. And these are all guys that have been viewed as really fragile players. And now all of them are playing. See, I think the Anthony Davis thing is fair. Um, Kawhi Leonard. I feel like it's a case of this man's finally healthy. Um, last year we saw once all that weirdness of the beginning of the season was done, once all that ramp up stuff was done, he was playing, um, you know, maybe there was the occasional back to back that he didn't play, but I remember him playing back to backs in the second half of last season. I feel like this is a case where this is a guy who's actually done rehabbing from every major injury that he's experienced. Um, Paul George is another dude where, so I think it's, I think it's fair. I definitely think it's fair. Some of these guys would be taking off many more games if this rule didn't exist. Paul George is a guy who probably is going to make at least third team all NBA. Yes. Um, you know, he's putting up great stats. The Clippers are a great team. He's one. Anthony Davis is one. Kawhi Leonard, I'm not sure, man. I think he wants to play every game regardless. I don't think that 65 game mark really means anything to him. I think it definitely means something to him. Um, he was up for a contract extension this year, which he did get, but I think he got through his availability, right? Because we've always known this guy's one of the top, however many players in the league, right? For me, it's top five. For others, it's top 10. But, you know, as long as he's playing, he's probably the best guy on the court. But if you only play 52 games a season and your knees explode, in the postseason, is Steve Ballmer going to look him in the face and give him $250 million until he's 36 years old? No. No. So I think Kawhi came into this season saying, I'm going to play every fucking game imaginable. He's playing back-to-backs. He did not do that last year. He just didn't do it. And we saw in the postseason, with limited rest in between games, boom, knees explode after two games. So this is this is a guy that even though he's my favorite player of all time, load management is kind of 
the cross he bears where it's like that's the label that's been attached to him and he has just shed that completely this year he's played 41 out of 43 games he's been a load management guy since the spurs days you're definitely right about that i mean pop was probably the dude who popularized the whole load management as a thing yeah um I, I, I guess. I, I think it's fair, man. I think it's fair. There's definitely some guys you look around and we're about 46, 48 games into the season. There's a lot more stars who are at that 40 game mark than there would have been last year. Kevin Durant's absolutely one of them. Anthony Davis has played 46 of 48 games for the Lakers this year. That is impressive. Yeah. Um, Joel Embiid is just the interesting case, man, because he's the best out of all of those players. And we're going to yeah. forget it at the end of this year. We're going to look back at this however many years in the future and go, holy shit, remember when he put up 70 points against Zach Collins and the Spurs? <laughs> but, like, nobody's going to give him the respect of, like, 36 points, 11 boards, 5 assists, and the defense. I think an interesting case study, though, is that Nikola Jokic, he's played every game. SGA, he's played every game. Anthony Edwards, he's played every game. They do that Anthony every Dick- year anyways. Right, but I think they should be rewarded for that. And I think this season we're gonna we we're going to see that where these guys who are Iron Men, Jason Tatum, another example of this, like they are going to get rewarded for this with awards and conversations surrounding their names. And the players that aren't, I, I don't think I'm gonna be too upset about, obviously outside of Joel Embiid. That's what makes this so weird, is he's really the only exception that I even give a shit about. Because he's the best. If it was a, you know, if you're the fifth best season and you played 60 out of 65 games, nobody cares. But when you are far and away putting up the craziest statistical season of anybody in the league right now, that's why it's an issue. Um, I think you're definitely right. If you're just a dude, you know, if if a guy like Jason Tatum didn't hit the 65 game mark, I don't know that there's as much clamoring for him to win awards, putting up, you know, 27, 8, and 4. Those are really good numbers, but there are tons of people putting up really good numbers. Right. And what are your what are your thoughts on like seventy nine games worth of Anthony Edwards versus sixty two games of Joel Embiid? Like, what does that equation look like to you, or is that just a stupid conversation altogether? It's a fair question, man. It's a really fair question. I think you know before this rule existed about the sixty five game mark, when it comes to all NBA selections, that's kind of something that people were doing already. They were yeah. doing those measurements and saying, well, he only played 60 games. This guy played 20 more and put up comparable stats. He's got to get the nod. So, you know, you have to give credit to a guy like Anthony Edwards or SGA or Tatum for being Ironmen and for treating the regular season like it matters, even though, you know, we, we kind of go back and forth on whether or not the regular season, some of these games actually do matter. I think they do. They should get rewarded, but Joel Embiid should get something. Anyone. And I think what's interesting that comes back to Joel Embiid is like, we recognize that the regular season, not every single game matters. So he goes out and plays the Spurs and scores 70 on Zach Collins, but then he ducks the game that we actually care about. So like, yeah, go play the fucking worst team in the league. Go drop a career high. Go break Philly's scoring record. But then don't play against the best player in the league that the NBA has been promoting during rivalry week. They're trying to garner hype and views and clicks and you just dodge that. Like, I think it's just weird. I just think it's, I think it's really bad for the game. Yeah. The way he did it was the worst part. If he had, you know, if we knew going into this game, he wasn't playing, people are going to clown on him. But the fact that it was 20 minutes before tip off, there's videos of him warming up in Denver and yep. then he decides, you know, I, I'm not doing this. I'm staying, I'm sitting this game out. That definitely is going to rub people the wrong way. And that might be the thing just by itself that causes people to go, you know what? I don't care. Like, don't give him awards. Who cares? Yeah, exactly. And then he missed Portland last night. And a lot of people think he missed it just to make sure that people don't hate him for missing Denver to make <laughs> it actually seem like he's hurt. Right. I guarantee you he plays the next game. So... This has been a really interesting case study for if this role will be continued or not. Um, because I think if you look at worthy MVP candidates, yes, Joel Embiid is one, but are we going to be fucking crying if it's SGA or if it's Nikola Jokic? Like, I won't be. Um, so I don't know. We'll have, to, we'll have to see what the public reaction is around award season when 
Embiid is not eligible. Yeah, it's something we're all going to have to prepare for. Embiid's probably not going to be the only guy. Devin Booker also has to be a pretty flawless season, can't miss a week. Um, So we'll see when it wraps up, but there's definitely going to be some talk about it. Um, Let's pivot. Let's talk about the Miami Heat and how much they've sucked recently. Um, Bringing in Terry Rozier, replacing him with Kyle Lowry, phenomenal decision. But the idea that he was going to come in and be a 20-point-per-game scorer the way he was in Charlotte, if anybody was thinking that, that's a little ridiculous. Um, So far, he's averaging 12 points, shooting 38% from the field. You got this guy because he'll make a difference in the postseason. Obviously, it's going to take a second. But the Miami Heat are struggling recently. They've lost seven in a row. That is hard to do. Mm -hmm. And when we're thinking about teams that are going to be in the mix, you know, it's hard to judge with Miami, right? Because last year we thought, surely they won't be in the mix. They were a play-in team. And then they end up going to the NBA Finals, right? So they've, they've given us a track record of being able to exceed their expectations. I think this season's a little bit different. Um, they just cannot score the basketball. They're so bad at offense, and they're getting bludgeoned by teams. Toronto beats them by 24. The Celtics beat them by 33. Like, these are not normal losses. Um, So, I don't know. What are your thoughts on the Miami Heat as just a contender? What is the way they solve the issues they're having. Do you have any ideas or theories? I mean, you know, the one thing you can say every single season is you could just add an extra seven points a game to Jimmy Butler's playoff score. He's at 21 points a game right now. There's no reason he's at 21 points a game. That number could be so much higher if you wanted to take more than 13 and a half shots a game. Um, So that's one area where you're like, that guy is going to pick up a little bit of extra slack. Can Tyler Hero average more than 20 points when the playoff starts? Uh, Bam is kind of doing his thing, man. Excellent, Mm -hmm. excellent defender. But all three of those guys have missed time. Um, So, you know, you're betting, first of all, that all three of those guys are fully healthy when the playoff starts and that all three of those guys raise their level of play from the regular season. And please, one of Jaime Jaquez, Terry Rozier, Duncan Robinson, Caleb Martin, one of you guys has to have an unbelievable performance. That's a lot to bank on. Correct. But how are you supposed to go into a playoff series with all those questions and feel confident? Now, if you say, hey, we have a guy in Jimmy Butler, we're always going to feel confident. That's I'm fine with that argument, right. but I do see some holes for them. And it's, you know, Pat Riley mentioned in the offseason, like they needed another guy who could score 25 points for them. And they thought they were getting that with Terry Rozier. Now it's still very early. I gave the trade an A plus because they moved off Kyle Lowry, who was who's done yes. in the NBA correct for a young player who has his leg still and some scoring pop. So I think it's still an A plus, but it seems like there's still some left to be desired. And I'm just not sure who the guy is on the market that fixes that for them. Or if that exists as an option at all. I mean, Terry's 30, so yeah. he's not exactly a young guy. Um, I fair. don't know who the guy is. Maybe they go get Bruce Brown. Maybe he's a guy who makes a bit of a difference. I mean, we've kind of seen Bruce Brown. It depends on the team that he's on. When he was on Denver and you've got all that talent, having a guy that plugs holes is amazing. When you're on a team that needs offense and you only have a guy that plugs holes, you're not really going to solve your problems. So is that the solution for Miami? I don't think so. But who is? Where is the guy that they could go grab? Right. That's the question. Um I don't know. I, I kind of think, like, in the East, there are just teams that I trust more than them. And me and you do this every year. Right. And I'm, I'm going to do it again. Right. And if they make me look stupid, they make me look stupid. But, like, all six teams above them I trust more than Miami, despite what we've seen from them in years past, making, uh, I think, three Eastern Conference Finals out of the last four years and making it to the finals twice mm-hmm. in the last four years. Like, Boston, Milwaukee, Philly, New York, Cleveland, and Indiana. I'm taking all six of those teams against the Heat in a playoff series. Um, I just don't trust them. I think something's like fundamentally wrong. Yeah, I mean, every single year you could make a pretty cool edit out of us saying the Miami Heat are cooked, and then they go on to win, <laughs> and then they go on to yeah. just cruise in the playoffs. But like, it's got to be one of these times, man. 
Jimmy Butler has so much on his shoulders. That's really what it comes down to is can you single-handedly win us playoff series again? Um, depending on the challenge, man, depending on who he's going up against, I think it's possible, but he's really got to get lucky with the seeding. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, Indy could be a close series, but they're not going to play each other first round. The first round series right now has him up against Milwaukee and that's a fun one. That's a fun one. And I definitely think Miami's got a better shot than people want to admit, but I don't know, man. And that's exactly what I thought as well when I saw that matchup. Miami probably walks into that series probably more confident than they should be considering their experience against that team. Absolutely. But in terms of talent, it's, I mean, no question. I don't think, yeah, I don't, I don't think that goes very well for them. Um, so I don't know. Something's wrong with Miami. I don't know. I think it's time to start considering that they're not really a threat to anyone um, unless they completely change some of their um, tendencies and stuff. Like, they just don't score the ball very well. Yeah. And in today's NBA, that's what matters. And they're a very unhealthy team. And health is what matters too. So we're, we need something to change. Yeah, I think we either need to just recognize that the Miami Heat are kind of on their way out, or we need to recognize that for them, the regular season doesn't matter at all. So yeah. whether it what seed they end up as, the points per game, everybody's scoring, percentages, who cares? We've got Caleb Martin, he'll hit 75% of his threes. Um, we've got Jimmy Butler, he'll go crazy. Like we are going to be able to pull diamonds from somewhere and get us more wins than we deserve, because that is the Miami Heat way. They are the 27th-ranked offense. Now, like you said, does Jimmy Butler add 7 points per game, 8 points per game to his totals during the postseason? Probably. Does that make them shoot up the ranks in terms of an offense? Of course. But it's still an issue you don't want to have. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then, you know, the guy who's got to clean up that is Tyler Hero. You need more scoring from him. You need Terry Rozier to bring you more scoring. It's really just everybody on the team do better than you're doing right now. Exactly. (laughs) Um, Let's pivot to our good friend, Victor Wembenyama, probably the most fun player to watch in the league right now. I've been tuning in as much as I can. Um, This guy's just doing weird, funky shit every single night, and it's starting to lead to a few wins for the Spurs, which is fun. Um And also, I think he's kind of reclaimed his title as the favorite for Rookie of the Year. What do you think of Wemby in this stretch he's been on as of late? Wemby is absolutely going to win Rookie of the Year. Um, I think that is locked in. Chet Holmgren had an excellent start to the season, but he was only in that lead as long as Wemby was staying inefficient. In the last 15 games, Wemby's put up 24 points a game on over 50% 50 shooting from the field. Over 30% from three which is a much better number than it was in the beginning of the season. The numbers are rising, man. The percentages are slowly going up. The Spurs are playing him like a center. They're playing Jeremy Sohan like a four, the way they should. They've got Trey Jones running point. Uh, And, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of Trey Jones, but six assists to 1.4 turnovers, that'll do. That'll do. They need more help from the bench. Malachi Branham has been, to say the least, a disappointment. Um, Yeah. They really just need more help, man. I think the starting five is okay. It's not terrible. They play pretty good basketball at some times, and Wemby's kind of the focal point of all of that. Yeah, it, it kind of makes you wonder, what if they just played like a normal basketball team from the start, right? right? Because that was the, what, first like 18 to 20 games of the season right? that Sohan was running point and Trey Jones was coming off the bench, and we've just seen Wemby's production explode since being made the true five and having Trey Jones as his starting point guard. Like, uh, you have his stats over the last 15 games, if you don't mind sharing that for our listeners here. Wembenyama, it's 24 points, 10 rebounds, 3.3 assists, 3.2 blocks. 51% from the field, 32% from three. And I'm not sure people realize, like, that is a top 15 player in the league. Those statistics right there, that is a top 15 guy in the league. That's someone where you have to be like, Laurie Markkinen, you're good, but I'm taking him. Or Jalen Brunson, yeah, you're averaging 27 points, but I'm taking him. This this is a rookie, guys. This is a Hall of Fame-level rookie year that we're seeing kind of muddied just by a little bit of incompetence for the first 20 games of the season. Um, You know, like I said, imagine if they just played basketball normally 
to start? Like, what would we be seeing right now if they did that? Imagine if we had, yeah, you're right, man. I mean, how many weird things could you look at there? Jeremy Sohan running point was weird. The amount of time we saw Chetty Osman isolations or like Zach yeah. Collins, let's involve you in the offense. What are we doing? What are we watching? Yeah. It was miserable. Um, the Spurs, the Spurs only goal should be put the ball in Wemby's hands as much as possible because he's really the best player on the floor already. Um, yeah. It took a second to get there. It definitely did. The inefficiency was rough, but we're at a point right now where every single shot that Wemby takes is some degree of open just because of how tall he is and how much he can get a shot off anywhere. Um, right. I'm just excited to see it blossom, man. I'm excited because we're only going up from here. We've still got March basketball <laughs> to watch. Like he's going to be yeah. playing scrubs and he's going to be putting up 28, 30 a game in some of these nights. My semi-bold prediction that I talked to you about over text is next year, Wemby will be on the MVP ballot. Uh, that's something I'm comfortable saying. Like, I don't think it's too far-fetched. This guy's only playing 28 minutes a game. If he gets up to 34 minutes a game for next season and has more talent around him, like, I don't know what that stat line looks like, but it's definitely freakish. And something we've also seen change with Wemby a little bit from the start of the season is just, like, his shot selection. Me and you both really were kind of annoyed by some of the shots he were taking. And there was a lot of self-creation stuff going on because there's a true point guard on the floor. Now it's much more of Wemby. Let's get you within six to eight feet of the basket. We're going to get you a decent look and then you finish it. And I don't know if there's a better player in the league at finishing opportunities other than Wemby Yama. Yeah, you're right, man. And I think the thing that really was hurting the Spurs was just the lack of facilitating because, you know, Trey Jones, probably you know best as a backup point guard he's probably not the best starting point guard to have but then when you go past him and it's malachi branham who is a three level scorer who's inefficient from all three levels and can't guard anybody and then you've got blake wesley who may be worse at times honestly like you know the 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 backup point guards that they have are rough no wonder they tried jeremy sohan can we see if you can pass the ball like that was what they had to try because of how weak their bench was um, what do you expect right now? Wemby's at for the season, 21 points, 10 boards, three assists, three blocks. By the time we get to, you know, through March basketball, through April basketball, could he get his points per game up to like 23? Is that achievable? I think he probably stays around the same totals. Cause I don't see a minutes ramp up coming mm. and I don't see like an influx of talent coming to the team to make his life any easier. True. So I do I feel like he'll probably stay around the same numbers. Saying that, though, this is one of the greatest rookie seasons we've ever seen. Um, and I mean that sincerely. And this is coming from a 19-year-old. Um, this this guy is fucking crazy. And it just kind of makes me excited for San Antonio as an organization in the next four to five years, right? What can they accomplish while he's on this rookie deal? Is he going to be one of those transcendent rookies that by the time before even his extension kicks in, is he going to be a good enough player to where they're a championship contender and they're able to spend all their cap space on just guys to surround him instead of like vice versa, where he's getting paid $60 million a year and they have to pick on the margins to put a decent team around him. Like I'm very intrigued what this means for San Antonio in the, in the next three to four years. He is going to be, I mean, the difference maker that Luca is, if not slightly higher because of his defensive potential. Um, LeBron James, these are the two guys, the two examples of like these teams all of a sudden became playoff caliber teams way earlier than they were ready to just because right. of how insane this one player is. Webinyama is that guy. Um, I want to go back over the last 25 seasons. The highest points per game of any rookie is Zion Williamson and Blake Griffin, 22.5 points a game. If they wanted that record to go to Wemby, they could do it. But, I mean, we've seen from the minutes restriction they've been giving him. You're right. It's probably going to be really difficult for him to come close. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned those two seasons by those two players. Blake Griffin was injured his entire first rookie year and then came back as a sophomore to have his rookie season Mm -hmm. and made it to the all-star game. It was an awesome player, but, and then Zion Williamson was a generational talent and was incredible, but he only played 26 games that season. So 
this is a crown jewel rookie season from Wembenyama that has been muddied by obviously a lack of team success and just weird shit. Like the Sohan experiment was so strange. Um, and a point you just brought up that made me realize something is Luca and LeBron, right? They, they elevated their teams almost too quickly to naturally grow like a championship contender. With Wembenyama, even though I agree he's on the same stratosphere of talent as those guys, because the West is so freaking deep, I think they're in this weird position where even if they get better, they still might not even make the play-in, allowing them to still kind of be in the mix come draft time for a guy like uh, Cooper Flag or Cam Boozer, right? Like, generational prospects that are up in the ranks. So they're still kind of in that mix to pair with Wemby, which would be insane. You're definitely right, man. I mean, look at, you know, the 10 seed, Utah Jazz. They're putting up 125 points a game in the month of January. They're going nuts, and they're the 10 seed. The Lakers are the 9 seed. We've got really, really good teams fighting for the play-in spot. So, you know, as good as Wemby is as just a dude, can he be good enough to outrank those teams and to climb to help the Spurs climb that high, I don't know. I think you're right. They probably have at least an extra year, if not two years, to get a good draft pick. Um, I wanted to list the other three. So Wemby right now is sixth among all rookies in points per game over the last 25 years. The three names above him that aren't Zion and Blake Griffin, Luka Doncic, LeBron James, Carmelo Anthony. Three of the best rookie seasons we've seen in the last 25 years. Um I don't know, you know, with all the conversation that we had about Chet Holmgren winning Rookie of the Year for the first half of the season, I stand by that because his efficiency was nuts. But when we get to the end of this year, we really got to have a deep dive of, like, just how insane this season has been from Victor Wembanyama. Yeah, no, I'm super comfortable with my take earlier in the season that Chet deserved the award at at the quarter poll uh, because he was shooting 50, 40, 90 while Wemby was shooting like 42% from the floor as a seven foot four guy. Like that just wasn't going to work a come award season. Now we're seeing him shoot over 50% over a stretch of 15 games and be the best player on the court most nights. And you mentioned his rookie season from a scoring perspective. We're not even mentioning that he's going to come in second place for defensive player of the year. Like, that's who he is. He will be coming. He will finish second in defensive player of the year. The only better defensive player has been Rudy Gobert. And I, I mean it when I say this. I There's a chance that Wembenyama is just the best defensive player in the history of basketball. So you have that paired with a guy who's going to be able to get you 25 points a night, maybe more, um, at the prime of his career, like, he is everything he was billed to be. I feel like he's almost underrated right now, which is a very interesting thing considering the hype he had coming into the season. I think you're right, man. I mean, the hype mixed with just how rough the first couple of games went from an efficiency standpoint made people kind of go like, who are we watching? Like people who weren't accustomed. Me and you knew what we were getting. We knew the efficiency was going to suck for a while. That's how rookies go, man. Um, But the beginning I think it was just rough because you're seeing this dude who kind of like he's trying shit out in the court and it doesn't work and you're kind of you're you're looking and I was confused definitely people were confused watching him but realistically he could be top five in points per game of any rookie season the last 25 30 years while also being top two or three in blocks per game where he's played 41 games he's blocked 128 shots so far um I don't, I don't know what to do about that, man. He's like, I mean, the, the greatest, one of the greatest defensive seasons we've seen from a rookie since probably Walker Kessler did amazing shit with his blocks last year. But like Tim Duncan's rookie year was when we saw a defensive rookie who really was incredible off rip. Um, Wemby, Wemby is that guy. Yeah. Wemby's leading the league in blocks as a rookie. Um, that's just super uncommon stuff. And like I said, he will finish second in defensive player of the year voting as a 19 year old there is a very good chance he is mentioned as the greatest defender to ever play this game um when you have that type of talent on your team for a minimum of eight years like san antonio has a very interesting opportunity to become a dynasty quickly yeah 
I think, honestly, we talked about this last episode, but the DeJounte Murray bringing him back to San Antonio, that might be a must. Genuinely putting a legitimate, competent playmaker next to Wembenyama as early as possible is what they should be trying to do. Because you don't want to get into the point where we're like two years down the line and it's the same thing that the Mavs are dealing with where it's like, how do we get better around the edges? Because we don't have the yeah. money to bring in new talent. That would be just nightmare scenario for San Antonio. You're 100% right. And what's interesting about Wemby and the Luka stuff too is their play styles are so different. Mm-hmm. Like Wemby Yama is completely additive in terms of just like the ball doesn't stick to his hands and he makes other guys better just kind of keeping the ball flowing. Yeah. Luka, I think some of the issues they've had team building is, yes, he's so talented and so great. But you need a very specific type of player to be next to Luka to enhance his skill level. With Wembenyama, I feel like you're more free to put different types of talent around him, like a Jeremy Sohan at the four. Like, that's perfectly okay. Um, there's a little bit more versatility with roster building around Wembenyama than I believe there is around Luka. I think you're absolutely right. For me, the key when you're surrounding players around Wembenyama is get as many guys as possible who can pass him the ball accurately. Like, yeah. you you want yeah. you want your three to be able to do it. You want your four to be able to do it. Obviously, you want your guards to be able to do it. He is going to be able to catch a entry pass from anywhere from any player. So surround him with guys who can make those passes. DeJounte Murray, to me, is definitely one of those guys. Yeah, and even guys like Gordon Hayward yes. and like shit like that. Just like professional basketball players, yes. dudes that just know how to play the game correctly, I think would greatly benefit Wembenyama. And I'm hoping the Spurs don't take too long to do this. I think creating good habits and like building winning habits is important for young guys. Even though I trust Victor completely, it's just I'd like to see him actually be in big games and win them uh, in his early stages of his career. Yeah, I agree, man. I mean, realistically, how long do you think that'll take? Two years from now, what seed do you think the Spurs end up at? The sixth. I like that. Uh, Or, yeah, like the fifth. Yeah. Something like that. Because my estimation is that Wemby's probably a top five guy by the end of his third year, right? Mm -hmm. That's my estimation for him. Uh, So having that level of talent on your team, hopefully you put enough around them to make it easy to win. Uh, if you don't, that's organizational incompetence. But yeah, probably like the fifth or sixth seed. I think that's So fair. there's, there's, we still have some time to wait. And I don't really know what moves they have to make either. I've tried, I've tried to make it easy for them to win games through the trade machine and stuff like that. Their cap space, they just don't have a lot of assets that other teams would want. I think Keldon Johnson, because he's on a declining contract for the next four years, is like a very interesting asset for teams. But do you want to give up Keldon Johnson? And what you know, what would it take? I made the mock trade Keldon Johnson for DeJounte Murray and the Hawks get their first round pick back from the Spurs. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I just want I want Embiid to uh, not Embiid. I want Wembenyama to be in a more uh, profitable situation than he's in right now, only having 10 wins on the season. Yeah, I mean, we want his future to be looking good. I don't really care if they're a bottom team this year, as long as there's a plan for stability around Webanyama for the future. Um, right. Keldon Johnson's a big body. I like the way he plays. I like his energy. I'm not sure he's like a guy you need to keep next to Wemby. I don't know that right. they're like matching skill sets or whatever. He's just a really, he's a good player. Um, if you could take a guy like that, who's got a four year deal and bring in someone who, you know, could stick around Wembenyama for the future, that is a must if I'm San Antonio. Right. But how many of these guys are available and how easy are they to get? And do they want to play with Wembenyama on a team that's probably going to be losing for the next year and a half? Right. Something like, you know what I mean? There, there's just questions to it. And we mentioned the draft this upcoming summer. Not a lot of prizes, no. right? Like some role players, some quality role players, but these aren't guys that are going to be changing your franchise or being a co-star to Wembenyama. That's just not what's available. So the losing season they're having isn't really being rewarded by anything. You're right. And I mean, there are worse losing seasons happening. So I think this is kind of a thing where it's like, you almost, you're put in a weird position here if you have the number one pick because there's nobody that really stands out as like, hey, this is a can't-miss number one pick prospect. 
if you've got the number four pick, I feel like the Spurs could very easily just pick a Ron Holland, pick a dude who just makes you better immediately without worrying about the ceiling. Um, I almost like, I don't know who is being taken with the number one pick this year. Definitely. It's going to depend on the team. We might be a little too early to even know that for sure. Um, but this is a year where it's like, you're not getting an all-star from this draft. You want to get a guy who fits Wembenyama and the team you want to build. You are not getting like an unknown player with a crazy ceiling. Right. So hopefully the Spurs do Wemby right. I think they will. They've had a track record of making the right moves around generational talents. So I'm going to trust them with that. Um, You know, they did it with David Robinson. They did it with Tim Duncan. They did it with Kawhi Leonard surrounding him with LaMarcus Aldridge and players like that. So like, they have a track record of this. It's just, it looks pretty ugly right now, but give it a season or two. And I think we're going to be in a good spot with Wemby. We've got a lot of players who have had great, great years under San Antonio. I mean, I liked the DeMar DeRozan Spurs days. Um, They weren't leading to crazy winning or anything, but he was playing great basketball and they were using him really well. Um, Greg Popovich is just one of the best coaches out there. I think we might've said some crazy shit about it. I definitely saw some crazy shit about it on Twitter. Based, I did, yeah, sure. based on just how awful those first handful of games were. Yeah. He's still one of the greatest. We can't deny that. An interesting question before we wrap up here is like, do you think, what was the benefit to that experiment early in the season? Like, do you think that paid dividends having Sohan kind of try his passing chops as a point guard? Or do you think that did Wemby any good? Or do you think that was a complete waste of time? I mean, I think the experiment is a must. Absolutely. This was going to be a losing season okay. regardless so you got to take some chances and you got to see like, you know, they were doing it for a reason. They needed somebody who could get the ball to Wemby effectively. Right. Sohan wasn't the guy, but to see like, we just drafted you, you've got potential as a passer. Let's try it and let's see what happens. I have no problem with that. If they had like aspirations to be a playoff team and they were trying that, I would think it's a little <laughs> ridiculous, but knowing going right. into the season that you're going to be a garbage team, you definitely got to experiment. That's super interesting because I kind of just view that as we knew what Sohan was as a passer, as a plus from the wing spot who had like guard skills that could take other wings by surprise, making the right play. I never viewed him as like, all right, let's give him the ball at the top of the key to orchestrate things. No, he's a drive and kick guy. Right. And an excellent drive and kick guy. Like he makes pinpoint passes to wherever you need them, but like he's not Chris Paul. We knew that. Um, So for me, like, having Wemby just missing open alley-oops because Sohan's dribbling around trying to be something he's not, that that frustrated me greatly and made me question, like, is Popovich insane? Like, what is he doing? Yeah, oh, and you were not the only one. You were absolutely not the only <laughs> one saying that. Um, but, you know, when it doesn't matter at all, when you've got to, like, Jeremy Sohan, if we know he's a good driving kick guy, we know he's got that passing vision, why not see if he can expand it a little bit? It's not like, like all it led to is like just awkward missed plays and some shit that you can look at from the beginning of the season and say like, I really hate how this went. Um, It's not like there's been any detriment to his career because of it. Imagine if Sohan learned how to pass. Imagine if that was a trait he just had. It really would have expanded the Spurs as a team. Yeah, and just looking quickly at the free agents for 2024, there are some options here for the Spurs to kind of improve their team in a way that's meaningful. Like Gordon Hayward, he won't be getting paid $30 million this offseason anymore. Like, you could probably get him for four for 60. Um, bringing DeMar DeRozan back to your team, you could probably get him for four for 60. True. Mike Conley, get him for four for 40, right? Like, I know this is a lot of money hypothetically being spent, but, like, these are competent vets to put around this guy to make his life easier. And maybe, who knows, maybe they sneak into the 10th seed and have a meaningful game at the end of the season where Wemby can kind of stretch his legs as a superstar. Out of those guys that you just named, which one of them do you want to see him go after the most? Probably DeMar DeRozan. Probably DeMar DeRozan. I think he's still got a lot left in the chamber. Mm. I think his passing is pretty underrated. Me and you, especially you, were driving his all-star candidacy when he was in San Antonio because of how good of a passer he was. Where, you know, yes, he's a mid-range assassin, Yes, he drives to the hoop like a crazy man, but he's also setting other guys up really well. I think if the Spurs had a go-to scorer alongside Wemby that could also get him good touches, like that's exactly what they need. I love that. I love that. I mean, DeMar DeRozan and DeJounte Murray are my two dudes. 
because yeah. on top of just the play styles, the willingness to be in San Antonio, mm-hmm. to be coached by Greg Popovich, to be in that system, it's not something everybody's really clamoring for. There are some easier situations, but to see, you know, just the willingness of DeJounte Murray to be like, Greg Popovich is my guy. That's like a father figure to me. I want to go back to that team. When you've got a guy who wants to be there that much, you do what you can to bring him to your team. I agree. Yeah, you're right. Make that happen because he doesn't want to be in Atlanta and the Spurs desperately need some guard help. So it's it kind of seems like a match made in heaven. You're right. Uh, before we wrap this up, do you have anything left? I think that's it. All right. Awesome. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We'll catch you later. Peace. Peace.